Hello, and welcome back to the Dramini Fanfiction Podcast. For this week's episode, we are taking a quick break from reading and discussing isolation because I got to interview the wonderful Dramini writer, Jules Beth, known in the fandom as Love's Bitka 8. A few weeks ago, I posted a poll in the Dramini Fanfiction Recommendations Facebook group asking people to vote on which author they would like to see featured on a special author chat episode of this podcast, and they chose Jules. She is well known in the fandom for her Rights and Wrongs series. This includes the first story called The Right Thing to Do, the sequel All the Wrong Things, and their companion piece, an AU or alternate universe called The Auction which is a work in progress. Before we get into the interview, I want to give you a brief summary of this series in case you need a refresher. I'll also give you a warning now that there are major spoilers ahead for The Right Thing to Do and All the Wrong Things, but not for the auction. So The Right Thing to Do is the first story in the Rights and Wrongs series, and it's told in the third person from Hermione's perspective. All the Wrong Things is the first-person Draco point of view of that story, but it does add a lot of perfect insight into what Draco is doing and how he was feeling all throughout The Right Thing to Do. There are also other pieces of information and kind of insight that we get in this story that we don't get in The Right Thing to Do, which makes it fun to read. Now, both of these stories take place after Deathly Hallows, assuming that everything in canon happened up until the start of the story. So in The Right Thing to Do and All the Wrong Things, Harry won the Battle of Hogwarts. Hermione testifies on behalf of Draco at his trial. Draco had spent a year in Azkaban awaiting trial, but after his release, he agrees to work for the Ministry to help capture any remaining Death Eaters, and actually becomes a bit of a celebrity due to his name. Hermione works at the Ministry and hopes to work her way up to a position in the House Elf Relocation Department, where she can fight for justice. But she wants to do it on her own merit as opposed to through her own name and notoriety. Her and Ron had split before she went and completed her final year at Hogwarts, and he went to play Quidditch in Ireland. So they're friends, but they aren't together. Hermione lives with Ginny, who's dating Harry, and they're all friends. Harry also works with the Ministry, and Ginny is a Quidditch player. Throughout this story, as Hermione and Draco navigate working together at the Ministry, and Hermione befriends Draco's mother, Narcissa, we get little flashbacks to Hogwarts years when Hermione and Draco had an interest in each other that was never spoken about. In The Right Thing to Do, we get flashbacks from Hermione's perspective, but in All the Wrong Things, which is heavily told through flashbacks, we get Draco's perspective. They didn't know that whole time that they had liked each other or had a fascination with each other. We see several moments that show this in the flashbacks, but the main one is when they are briefly partnered together at the Yule Ball while dancing the French waltz. So moving on, Draco starts his own consulting agency, and eventually Hermione agrees to work for him. Through this endeavor, Hermione and Draco have some hilarious banter, and of course they finally end up together. There are some hiccups along the way. Hermione sees into Draco's memories, which reveals his longtime feelings for her, but he is not super happy about that. Also, Lucius, while in Azkaban, withholds Draco's inheritance, which causes financial issues for Draco's company, and Lucius, seeing Draco and Hermione in the papers together and knowing about his son's fondness of her, basically manipulates Hermione into taking a bunch of different lessons to train her to become a good pure-blood wife. 
She thinks this is ridiculous, obviously, but she agrees to secretly do them to help Draco and ensure that he gets the money for his company. There's so much more to the right thing to do and all the wrong things, including some original characters, um, a new dangerous potion, Aquamancy, and mentions of the Death Eaters' plans if Voldemort were to have won. So this leads to Jules's current work in progress, the auction. The auction is based on this concept that was first mentioned in Chapter 9 of The Right Thing to Do, an auction of Order members and sympathizers if Voldemort had won the Battle of Hogwarts. The story maintains all characterizations and backstories as The Right Thing to Do characters, but it's set in this Voldemort Wins alternate universe. I won't give any spoilers for this because I know a lot of people are not caught up yet or haven't started it because it's a work in progress, but just know that in the interview, Jules and I do talk a little bit about the process for this fic and basically just how excited I am about all the new chapters that are coming out. And that's it. Hopefully this was a helpful recap and I hope you really enjoy the following discussion with Jules. Okay, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the Germany Fan Fiction Podcast. Yay. Yay. <laughs> that voice you heard is none other than Jules Beth, aka Love's Bitka 8. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kaylee. <laughs> um, so there's no Matt today. He might make an appearance at some point. But I requested him. I said it's not a podcast without a Matt cameo. So my we'll heart. See. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He, he must make a cameo, yes. <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, I'm fangirling so much. I've only ever met Joe and Murr from the Impractical Jokers, you know? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm totally having that same kind of fangirl moment. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's okay. I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom not wearing a bra right now, so we're all human. <laughs> <laughs> Real talk right there. <laughs> Okay, so this is a special episode of the podcast because I just figured that it'd be fun to kind of have a breakup of the chapter readings and do something a little different, highlight different authors and be able to talk about different fics that everyone loves. And obviously everyone loves the right thing to do and all the wrong things. And now the auction. I first want to ask you about some of the stuff that you've been working on recently in your non-fanfiction work. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a musical and a novel and a pilot. I want to hear all about all of that. I got a lot of shit. Sorry. <laughs> Do you curse on here? <laughs> Do all of it. <laughs> we can bleep. So the pilot is something that St. Dionysus, one of my betas and a good friend of mine, her name is Kat. We started just kind of spitballing ideas together. And I had this idea for a web series for me to be the showrunner, but also to star in because I'm also an actress. So I kind of reached out to her and I said, would you be interested in helping me head this? And because she has such an eye for, first of all, film as a medium, but she is, you know, a marketing director. And so she has a lot of contacts, a lot of eyes for things. So the pilot it's called Julie's Not Auditioning, and it is about a small town girl who moves to New York City with dreams of being on Broadway, but she's not quite prepared for how hard she has to work for that. Slightly autobiographical, but her coping mechanism for all of this is that she lies her way through 
a lot of these situations. So she gets caught in a lot of strange scenarios where she's making herself seem like she has a career and that she's met so-and-so and she shares a building with this person but she doesn't have any of that and trying to kind of decide if what she wants to do is to continue auditioning and trying this out. It was actually something we were going to be shooting this coming summer. No, right now, literally (laughs) in July. We were going to attempt to film the pilot, you know, on an iPhone or a very low rented camera and get it pretty good quality and then use that as like the, the Kickstarter or the campaign to raise some more money to be able to put out a good product and COVID. So, <laughs> so you know, it kind of sucks, but we also got to look at other opportunities like turning it from a web series pilot, which is usually about eight minutes or less into a half-hour TV comedy pilot. Recently, we submitted to a couple of pilot competitions, got some good feedback, and we're going to take those notes and kind of see what we want to do with it because, you know, we can keep making it better and submitting it to competitions, but still keep in mind that it could be a web series once we have the opportunity. Wow. So that has come after some of your work with writing the musical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you start writing the musical? How did that happen? What's that about? And then how did that influence this? Yeah, I've been in theater since I was six. So I've been doing acting and singing and dancing for (laughs) 15 years because I'm clearly 21. Uh, And... I've always been in theater. I got my degree in college in theater. I was never considering being a writer. I was considering acting primarily. And the thing, you know, a couple of opportunities just started popping up in the theater that I worked at with tweaking scripts and rewriting original material for people. And we kind of just took a stab at it one day and said, maybe we'll try to piece together a musical. And, you know, those conversations are so funny to look back at now because it was just all fun and games and now it's like (laughs) serious stuff with legal documents and things where I'm like wow we should have settled this seven years ago (laughs) but here we are with a lawyer (laughs) so it's great uh the show is called Generation Me it is about a uh high school sophomore who he's the most popular boy in school. He has the perfect girlfriend, the perfect friends, the perfect parents. And one Monday morning, his friends find out that he has killed himself. Oh, wow. And it kind of plays like a mystery where his friends and family try to figure out what went wrong and are they specifically the people to blame for it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty heavy, and um, a lot of people laugh when I say that it's a musical. (laughs) But, you know, Broadway has changed so much in the past 20 years to where musicals aren't just about fun and games anymore. It's, you know, using music and using the score to continue to elevate the story and reach closer to people's hearts and emotions than just providing a dance number. Yeah. But there's actually a ton of comedy. There's a lot of teenage bullshit. (laughs) One of the characters' names is Kaylee, spelled exactly like you. (laughs) It was meant to be. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So we've had some good uh, reception and success. We have been to a couple of festivals and won some awards, and we have producers now. 
you can't do anything now, but hopefully we'll have more to talk about in about a year. Yeah. It kind of sucks that things just get put on hold for a year or more, right. but it's crazy right now. So do yeah. you write music then? I don't write the music itself. I write the lyrics. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I'll help with melody lines and stuff, but I can play piano, just not well. <laughs> so I don't create uh, accompaniment. Yeah. I was also a theater kid. <laughs> I was from a really small town, so I thought it yeah. was good. And then right. I love theater. I'm a thespian. And then I went to undergrad and the first mm-hmm. semester I was like, I'm going to be a music major. And then I realized that I didn't understand oral skills and music theory. Wow. And it was really complicated and nothing I was good at at all. So I was like, yeah, in this and become an accountant. And now that's not even, that's out the door too. So (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that happens with a lot of theater undergrads, you know, just like there's still a passion to be a part of the community, but sometimes you see the pool of candidates and it's way too broad. And also the college that I went to, it was training chorus girls and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's, Actually, the easiest way to break into the industry is to be a triple threat and to be well-rounded, but that's not where I fit in in the theater world. So I needed to work so hard to not only be a triple threat dancer, singer, actor, but also prove that when I was not being great at being a triple threat, it meant that I was a comedic singer-belter, you know, and had to be the best of those at the school. Wow. What's your favorite musical? Um, My favorite musical is Ragtime. Okay, I haven't seen that. It's so good. It's from the 90s, but it's set in the early 20th century. Exciting. Yeah, takes you through 1902 to World War I. I played for Macera in my high school production. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. There's nothing better. (laughs) (laughs) We love Fiddler on the Roof. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Did you get to sit on someone's shoulders? Like, did the, did they do the whole tall for Macera oh thing? Gosh. I had to put a, a harness on and they yeah. like, lifted me. They flew you? They flew me from Was the- it legal? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they like dropped me from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so much better than just like sitting on some dude's shoulders. <laughs> that would have been awful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's really fun. So I also want to know about your novel. Yeah. What? I would love to hear about it. Yeah. Well, first things first, I also write for the Star Wars fandom. I am in the process of converting The Food of Love, which is my most popular multi-chapter Raylo fic, into an original work. So I'll be shopping that around and kind of having that in my back pocket too as a like, well, I have this manuscript as well. But my real passion is for YA, young adult books. And that's, you know, it's similar tone as to the musical. I've had this book in my head for several years and and started to really lean into it and work on it in the past year. I don't know. I'm kind of chipping away at it. It is very, like, <laughs> for perspective. I wait until the last minute for my fan fiction chapters. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be posting chapter 31 tomorrow. I'm so excited. <laughs> Yeah, I think this will go up on Monday, though. So it'll be the previous. So Sunday, we're posting it. And I just gave it to my betas Friday night at (laughs) 1am. 
And that is not even the latest that I have delivered, but I started it Tuesday. So for reference, this chapter is going to be anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 words once the second draft is done. And I wrote all 10,000 of those words between Tuesday and Friday. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The funny thing is that my nano goal, which uh, nano is National Novel Writing Month, and you set a goal, usually it's 50,000 words. My nano goal for my YA novel specifically is 10,000 words. And I just wrote that in four days and I'm expected to do the original novel 10,000 words over the course of 30 days. And we'll see if I can make it because I'll be making another (laughs) chapter of 10,000 words (laughs) of fan fiction. So, you know, it's kind of funny when I try to tell people that, you know, I'm not going to be working on Draco's POV of the auction. You know, it's because I really don't get a chance to work on original stuff while fan fictions are posting and on a, on an update schedule like this. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of words to write. <laughs> it's too many words. <laughs> the product is always so amazing. And of course, credit to Kat and Mar who are yeah. a lot of work with it too. Every single time. Thank you. So it's so cool. I wish I would have been reading the right thing to do when you post right. it. Because even just being in the community while it's being written is cool. Yeah because we're all in it. Yeah, I love the process of following works in progress when you have a social media mm-hmm. aspect to it. I was following Manacold when it was a work in progress and was in Sinlin Yu's Facebook group and talking to people online and the other Facebook groups, making friends and doing theories and, you know. I can't imagine like and having to wait for what would happen to especially those first 25 chapters I know it's all just depression but exactly <laughs> but it's so just good. terrible terrible things <laughs> but I mean there's like little happy moments and positive things in the auction too so I don't want to like talk too much about the auction because I know you already <laughs> about that there's, it's a work in progress so I don't want to too much into that but no there's like good things where you get these moments like especially at the party and mm-hmm. you like little moments of like yes happiness (laughs) you know yeah it's true there's there's a lot of levity and a lot of it comes from two you know there are a lot of people who started with the auction and didn't read the right thing to do and all the wrong things and I think I think it was clear in the first maybe 15 chapters that Draco has feelings for her you know, or like when she's like, why am I here? And you're like, well, I I think it's because he likes you, you know, (laughs) but you know, there were people who didn't have that background information. And I feel like that leads the auction to being having these moments of levity and these, you know, this lightness and Mm -hmm. a bit of romanticism about it that, um, you know, she's an idiot. (laughs) And he's an idiot. And we're just so much smarter than them. And can they just knock it off? (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. We have this omniscient point of view. Yeah. (laughs) And you're right. Like, I I know you've talked about before, too, that in the very beginning of the auction, you guys give that little flashback. Yeah. That gives people an idea of where they're at, or at least where Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because those are the best part. I mean, I feel like those are some of the best parts and the right thing to do. You get all these little flashback moments. Yeah. During canon. Right. I did my best to not interrupt canon. One of the main things was the Death Eater Rowl was supposed to still be alive when Harry enters the Forbidden Forest to confront Voldemort. I'm pretty sure he was supposed to be alive, but I wanted Draco to kill him. Spoiler. 
Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. So this is a good segue into talking about the rights and wrongs series, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> so you started the right thing to do in 2017. I think so. Okay. That sounds about right. It's tough because I started only posting on Hawthorne and Vine, which was this wonderful site that's out of existence now. So like, I can't go back and check that date anymore. So I have to like go through my emails and see when my chapter was accepted and it, it, oh, yeah. this whole thing. So what happened with that? It just shut down. Yeah, I think they were having server troubles. I'm speaking out of my ass, but essentially... I think they took it down so that they could fix some problems and uh, securing it against hackers and things like that. And I think it just was not more trouble than it was worth, but more than they could handle. But it was a great archive. Just as good, if not better, than AO3 with being able to search for things and being able to pare things down into exactly what you want. Okay. Yeah. Like I only know fanfiction.net and AO3. Yeah. You're ahead of most Hermione shippers by knowing what AO3 is. <laughs> I also know how to find the files folder in the recommendations group. Mm-hmm. Actually find like every Thursday's work. and <laughs> Yes, you're on your way. <laughs> <laughs> and this was your first piece of fan fiction. Right? Yeah. I'm really curious where the idea came from for the start of this. Yeah, I think I was, well, I started reading Dramione when I was like 14 or 15. And, you know, reading it through college too, I started wanting to write the story that I wanted to read, which Mm -hmm. I think is such a great piece of advice for fan fiction writers and writers in general, write the story that you would like to read. You know, the first idea was Hermione speaking at Draco's Ask Band trial. And kind of that idea of them continuing to run into each other, you know, their co-workers, they're at that bar, they keep running into each other at the bookstore. I thought about this fic for about like six months before starting to write it. So it wasn't like I threw up the first couple of chapters and then started to plot. I had a pretty good idea. The very first scene I wrote was the first cornerstone scene, the first bookstore scene. Oh. Yeah. So I know there's not a lot of fix where Hermione is the one who is pining. And I didn't even think of it that way when I was writing it. I think I was just interested in a fascination with Draco Malfoy and like truly believing that he did no crimes and he shouldn't be in jail for them. Kind of what we as readers feel whenever people are like, he's a villain. She should be with Ron, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I feel like that was my inspiration. And then it just spiraled out into, you know, 170,000 words. (laughs) 170,000 beautiful words. My God. (laughs) Well, okay. So you mentioned that first cornerstone interaction. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's written so perfectly. She's like nervous and embarrassed talking to him and just that whole interaction is so sweet I just love her little slip up and how like excited she is yeah I feel like there were so many times that you get all these moments of just pure satisfaction reading Mm. like connections are being made you know you get the little flashback to her liking him being infatuated with him thinking about him and then he's right there in front of her yeah it's just such a this ball you know yeah. and, that, and the fact that later in all the wrong things we see that he's the same way he just presents yeah. really kind of defensive turkey way so perfect so perfect. <laughs> they're such idiots i love them they're yeah. such idiots, but they're like adorable idiots 
I know. Well, and it's so funny because Mar, Raven Maiden, my other beta, likes to remind people and me that, you know, there's some stigmas with how people write Hermione and, you know, Americans tend to lean more towards the sexual purity route, whereas Europeans don't always have that hanging over them. They don't have Puritanism there. But Mar's case for it is that <laughs> when Hermione's responses to Harry being like, what do you and Victor do? Is like, oh, he's not a very talkative person, you know? Like, <laughs> And also she, when she sees Victor at Bill and Floor's wedding, she freaks out and drops her purse. Yes. So like, she's the worst. She's all of us. <laughs> Perfectly quirky. Yeah. I love it. And the fact that that even fits with canon too. Yeah. So did you come up with Oculus Dolus? Yeah. Made up that charm. Yeah. I was like, I need something. I think Dolus is deceit, if I remember correctly. And Oculus is clearly something to do with eyes. Eyes deceit. Yeah. So that was fun. It rarely comes around, but it's a little tie-in. And I'm sure Draco's used it many times in the auction as well. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. So I know you've said you're not going to write Draco's point of view of the yeah, auction. Right. I almost like don't want to see it. I think a lot of people have said this too. I don't want to read that because in this situation, he's not going to be quirky, funny. Yeah, he's not as suave. No. The story is so much rougher. And he has, he's been doing so much more occlumency mm. in this story, which the prose that I chose, and I really hate that I just said it that way, for yeah. all the wrong things yeah. is very stilted when he is occluding really heavily. You know, and there are certain levels to it, like just being near her is occluding, but then there's also the fake assault situation, which was heavily occluding. But I just feel like the entire story would be in clipped syntax. There is a girl in the room. <laughs> That's totally true. <laughs> and, you know, some of it just not interesting. That's actually a good point. He's in survival mode. He's in this yeah. mindset of having to not think about her. And there's a lot of every question that a reader may have will be answered by the end of the auction. You know, any remaining secrets or questions you have, they will come out in the open. So it's not a matter of like, I wish we had his perspective so I could understand this. Right. And all the wrong things. We do get little extra moments right. with insight into what he's thinking and feeling, which adds a lot to the story. But in the right. Yeah, I mean, they're together most of the time, except when he's out just yeah, being at war. Yeah. Being cruel, murdering people or whatever he's doing out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, too, when I knew I was going to start writing the Draco POV of The Right Thing to Do, I started leaving some things out. Like, I always knew that the hag at Cornerstone was Lucius's spy. But I was like, how do I get this to be revealed in The Right Thing to Do? Like, what's it going to do for Hermione? Yeah. And then I realized, I was like, she doesn't have to know. Draco's the one who has to deal with it. We can put that in the next story. That's awesome. Yeah. So the Aquamancy stuff is really cool. The way it's described, it's very visual. And I really mm -hmm. like how different their Aquamancy methods are. Yeah. It's so characteristic to who they are as people. Yeah. He's just building a wall. He's just <laughs> building on those blocks and she's got little books that she puts She's got books. Yeah, exactly. She's filing things and he's yeah. closing things and hiding them. Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah. How did you come up with that? Well, Draco's Occlumency, you know, it's another point in canon where a lot of fics have Snape being his Occlumency teacher in a way, but canon says that it was Bella and that he didn't want Snape to have anything to do with him in sixth year when he needed Occlumency. So I wanted to create something that was a little different from standard Occlumency and something that would be more necessary for what he needed. So I'm really pleased with how that turned out for him specifically with you know a visualization process and I've had some people let me know that they in in therapy or in trauma counseling that they have certain techniques that are similar to that with dissociating and you know boxing things into certain boxes and so I think that's really interesting I didn't do any specific research but yeah that was the idea yeah that's pretty beautiful to think about it that way you know because they are coping yeah Yeah, I think that in this context, too, it makes sense that Snape would be that person. Yeah. Because he notices and he recognizes that Draco's pining over Hermione. Yeah. It's kind of a a throwback to Snape doing the same exact thing. Yeah, exactly. That crush over Lily. Yeah. Well, and it felt like Snape could have an opportunity to right a wrong. He could help Draco succeed where he had failed. You know, Snape made a lot of mistakes, but he also was open with the Dark Lord about what he wanted, Mm -hmm. and that didn't help. I think they're they're such mirrors of each other, so I loved being able to to see him and play with him. Yeah. So I want to chat about the Gainsworth novels. Mm -hmm. Would you ever write those? That is so funny. Kat brought that up in the most recent podcast, the Austin Bronte and Hugo walk into a bar podcast. And that is just so funny because (laughs) I like, I have an idea of what they're about and what's in them, but they're really based in JK Rowling's world. Mm -hmm. You know, undesirable is the phrase for public enemy number one in Harry Potter speak, but it's tempting. I think writing mystery or thriller is a completely different genre that I'm comfortable in. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't ever try. But yeah, it's hilarious. When I envisioned these books, I made them seven so that we would assume that we were talking about the Harry Potter books. Right. But people just keep turning to me and being like, you're going to put seven out of these, right? And I'm like, yeah. no, they're Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that would be at least a 10-year commitment. <laughs> yeah. But I know Draco mentions, oh, couldn't they have just been one book? Condensed. Well, and it's funny too, because he says, you know, oh, I read the first and the last. Imagine if any of us heard a friend of ours being like, I didn't like Harry Potter. Yeah. I read the first one. I read the last one. It didn't seem good. And you're like, you did what? (laughs) (laughs) You don't even know who Sirius Black is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there would be so much missing. Yeah. I have to say, those quips between them provide so much humor to the whole series. Yeah. The back and forth between Hermione and Draco through all of that. Yeah. So good. I love writing their banter. It came to me, not easy, but it came to me well. And I'm very glad that that's not something I have to work four times as hard to get. I just watch a lot of shows and read a lot of books with snarky villains. So it just starts to seep into your subconscious. Hermione can really hold her own against Draco in this. Right. So perfect, especially when they get to the point where she's working at Malfoy Consulting Group. Yeah. And she, what's that scene where she's in with Pansy and she's getting all ready and then she goes in her bare feet or in her slippers. Yeah. Goes across the office. She's in a bathrobe. (laughs) In barefoot. Hilarious. (laughs) 
So I want to ask you about the, the whole part with Hermione continuing with the lessons after that whole thing where Draco's like, yeah, you're done with doing that. And then she's yeah. like, hey, sounds good. And then still does it anyway. <laughs> you know, I feel like she had a bit of an obligation she felt she needed to fulfill too. And you know, there weren't that many lessons left and she still felt like there was this weight of Lucius over them. She didn't know how to play the game with them. I think there's a sense of seeing it through you know, knowing that Draco's overreacting, but wanting to kind of play it safe and make sure that she's not ruining any of Draco's chances. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the very end, he comes to the dancing lesson. Yeah. It's this really sweet moment of, <laughs> okay, I know you're doing this, but we're going to dance right now. Yeah. It's just really, really sweet. <laughs> I mean, that was really important to me too, because That was kind of the bookend, knowing that for both of them, which you learn more in All the Wrong Things, primarily for Draco, that it all kind of starts with the Yule Ball and the French Waltz. Then to be at the end of the story in the final chapter and to get to see them dance together again and kind of show how they've grown so that was really important too. And the idea, one of um, Raven Maiden's favorite bits is the you need a partner idea of like, you don't need to be doing this alone. We mm-hmm. can be a team in this, which we see so much more of in the auction. Oh yeah, for sure. So the end of All the Wrong Things, my heart was so broken with, the, not broken in a bad way, but good way, that the final scene of all of it is back in the first year when they meet I love that. So how did you come up with that idea? That, I mean, I try not to start a story until I know the ending. Or let me be more specific. I try not to start posting chapters until I know the ending. All the Wrong Things was a bit of an exception, though, because I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Draco's point of view. But then as I was getting closer and closer, I was like, how do I want to wrap up this journey? And one of the huge differences between the two stories is that Draco's is told primarily through flashback. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it would be a nice bookend to his story to show this idea of how it all began. And he himself thinks that it started in fourth year. Mm -hmm at the Yule Ball. I think, you know, I think it did. I think that's when his sexual feelings developed, um, which for boys, I find they're, they're linked. Yeah. <laughs> he ha- they have to have both. <laughs> but his fascination with her started the first moment he saw her. Yeah. It's like a lion, that little lion. Yeah. So, it, you know, and she was new and interesting and she, I have this line in a fic that I haven't even written yet, but this idea of the, all the ways that she's the complete opposite of Narcissa. Oh, okay. He's he's raised in very pristine and blonde and straight lines and tall and willowy. He's raised in these ideals. And then when he gets to Hogwarts, he meets someone who's broad and curly yeah. and brash and <laughs> that type of idea of him meeting someone. Him meeting his first mudblood, too. Yeah. yeah would kind of be like that idea in all the wrong things. Yeah, and then he just, he talks about her a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> so hard when Narcissa starts saying that, she's like, what game is this? But yeah, I mean, she's thinking she's a footnote. Yeah. And all of the stuff that he's sending home. But no, but like she's the main act in his yeah. letters back home and all the stuff he's talking about. And I think that's really fun to read in the Yule Ball scene too, when he's kind of, he's talking to Pansy and he just keeps talking about what Hermione looks like and he keeps yeah. Oh, that mudblood. And yeah. goes and 
sleeps with pansy afterward and is thinking like doesn't really realize but is kind of subconsciously thinking yeah it's very telling Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Yeah. yeah twisting up the sexuality with the interest yeah and she totally would be interested in him too she would be fascinated by him because that's what I always think about too when I think of like a Draco and Hermione pairing. Yeah. We, one of the first times that we learn anything about Hermione in canon books, right, is that she read everything yeah. before she even got on the train. And so, yeah. of course, in those books, I'm thinking there's going to be stuff about pureblood families. The Sacred 28, it has to be mentioned in society. Yeah. Well, and just ancient history and just like hearing which Malfoy members were parts of the ministry and she probably can't wait to talk to some of these people. Right. (laughs) They don't want to talk to her. (laughs) That's totally true. I kind of wonder what if she was excited to get on the train and meet people that she's read about uh, in this. Yeah. So she would definitely be fascinated with him. So (laughs) I'm curious if there's a story that you would like to see written that maybe you're not thinking about writing it or wanting to write it but in a dream world (laughs) what story do you think is missing I don't even know missing you know there's so many amazing writers right now there's like a Germione renaissance happening (laughs) you know and so many new artists too there's just a lot of content going on right now and I can't keep up with any of it I also don't read Germione while I'm writing it so I haven't I mean I've barely stopped in the past three, four years. So I really haven't read a lot of the new stuff. So I I wouldn't say that I would be able to speak to what's missing because I feel like I would misstep, but I do have a soft spot for marriage law. And I know there's excellent marriage law fix. So I'm not saying that they don't exist, but I'd be interested in seeing more fresh takes on it too. Because, you know, it's so funny how we used to write Hermione and not me because I didn't write it long ago, but how it was being written 10, 15 years ago and how it's being written now, you know, has really evolved. Oh, okay. To see more marriage law happening now, kind of like how head boy and head girl fix aren't happening a lot right now or like as much as they were. Sure. I'd be interested in seeing marriage law written by today's authors or with the perspective of going on 20 to 25 years in this fandom. Wow. So I'm relatively new. I mean, I've been reading... Yeah. For a year now. (laughs) Yeah. Even that, I don't think. So I've read all the ones that people mainly recommend. But of course, I I really want to read some of the lesser recommended fics. I definitely, as much as I'm focusing so much on all the big stuff right now, I don't want to focus only on the big stuff. Yeah. The really well-known stuff because there's good stuff everywhere. But you mentioned that it's changed in the past years. Yeah. I feel like there's less and less Hogwarts fix. And I think that might also come with the people who, you know, if I was 15 years old reading Head Boy, Head Girl fix, and now I'm <laughs> years old and, <laughs> and I'm more interested in reading coworker fix. Okay. I think it comes with, with age a little bit. Also with, this just kind of came to me when you were saying that, I feel like the idea of consent. Mm-hmm is so much stronger clearly today. But one of my favorite fics is Silencio, Silencio by Akasha the Kitty. Mm -hmm. And there is like dubious consent, almost non-con in that first chapter. Uh And it creates great romance. It's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. 
but that from a not well-known author or an under-recommended fic, that wouldn't fly Mm -hmm. today. You know, you'd have to tag that pretty heavily. And, you know, that's not to say it can't be done because of course Manicold has consent issues everywhere, but Sinlin, you knew what she was working with and knew that it was going to be a part of the story. So yeah, I feel like that's an interesting thing. I feel like some people, I, I won't name what fic it was, but a friend of mine asked me for a fic or like I started talking about have you read this fic I remember loving it I might be confusing a couple of plots but like I just remember having such a strong reaction to it and loving it (laughs) and that was 15 years ago and she read it (laughs) and she comes to me later and she goes how long ago did you read that fic and I was like was it bad and she was like no it's just not great (laughs) she's like interesting that you really liked that fic. You know, it was just so funny to, to talk about it. Yeah. And I've tried to go back and reread stuff that I really liked 15 years ago. And sometimes I'm like, hey, look at this fic. <laughs> That's so interesting. The evolution of, of what you're interested in reading and what you yeah. connect with at different points in life. Yeah. yeah. And especially our current climate mm-hmm. in any regard, how that affects your feelings about it. Yeah, especially right now. I mean, obviously, I chose isolation to read for the mm-hmm. podcast because it has nothing to do with what's going on today. I don't know why you would choose it. <laughs> um, but you can still like escape with it. But also, it's relatable in a way. And I feel like there are just themes in certain modern fics that are being written. Yeah, that are also super relatable, or just stuff that we need to be reading. I, I read Apple Pie. Yeah, other men's. I haven't read that one yet. It was, it came out new, so therefore I haven't. <laughs> so Apple Apple Pies and other ones like needed it because as much as I am like really drawn to, I don't know if other people feel this way, but I'm really drawn to stories that pull off of canon or mm-hmm. throw little little bits in so it's believable. But there's a value in stories that aren't as believable. Yeah, just for whatever reason. But no, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. And there might even be just like nostalgia wrapped around things because like I was reading fix when the movies were still coming out. Okay. My high school friends and I went and like did the line at Barnes and Noble, you know, like, so like I was reading fic when the books were still coming out. So there's so many fics that I was reading as a teenager that were based only off of Half-Blood Prince and like had no idea what was going to happen in Deathly Hollows. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting too, sometimes seeing when something was published, if you're not gelling with it, I wonder if it's because you know Deathly Hollows too well, Right. you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, that's interesting. When did that come out? Was that 2008? I feel like, yeah. I didn't do any of the stand in line stuff. I mean, you you were two. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was, I think, well, in 2008, I was 11. So I don't think I read the books until later on. Yeah. But regardless, I mean, still obviously fell in love with them. I know. So going back to what you were talking about while you're writing stuff that you're yeah. reading other fics right now, I feel like that would be really hard to stick within your universe. Yeah. Also read stuff that are different characterizations of the characters and yeah. everything. Is that kind of why? That's kind of it. Yeah. I, I started that during the right thing to do because parts of it are so derivative of the tropes that we commonly use, like co-workers 
and he's a terrible boss, you know, and yeah. <laughs> uh, redeemed Draco Malfoy, and you know, and just like little little pieces like that that I just didn't want things to stick in my subconscious, and especially when I was very insecure posting the first half of the fic, you know, I didn't want to compare myself too heavily or feel like my style was not going to be as good. So that was helpful, and I just kind of carried it on. It also kind of helped that I started getting into the Star Wars fandom. Because mm-hmm. for Star Wars, I read Star Wars fix weekly, daily, whatever, in the same way that I would consume Dramione, and I can still write Raylo fix without that affecting me. So I feel like it just depends. You know, there's a bunch of fix on my to-be-read list, and I know that Raven Maiden still reads so many Harry Potter fix and Dramione fix, so she's already telling me the top five I need to read once I'm done with the auction. But but that's also why I am uncomfortable being asked for fic recs on Tumblr, simply because my answers are going to be the same as they were two months ago. <laughs> And it's not going to be up to date. And I also know that there's probably a bunch of mutuals whose feelings I'm going to hurt because I can't recommend a fic I haven't read. Right. Yeah, it's tricky to talk about current Dramione fics or what's coming out because I only know tangentially from Mar what's what's good. Yeah. (laughs) No, that makes sense. Okay, so I want to ask you about some of the other fics that you've written. Mm -hmm. And I know you're still working on Birthright. Yeah, I should have a new chapter of that shortly after the new auction chapter. That should be, so if this podcast goes up on Monday, then probably within a couple days. Oh, awesome. Okay, so how did you come to start writing those? All the extra fix, yeah. (laughs) Birthright was fun. Uh, Telling things from Narcissa and Lucius's point of view is just great. But there were little pieces to the story that I felt like could be elaborated on. And, and that's the thing, too, is like so far chapters one and two are posted. First, uh, chapter one is Narcissa's point of view. Chapter two is Lucius's. And of those two chapters... There's only one scene that takes place during the right thing to do. I was able to kind of find a way to make it interesting to write where it's not just retelling something from their point of view. And it kind of has a bit of the all the wrong things format where there's flashbacks and they inform what's happening and they bring you into the world. Yeah, there's little bits and pieces. And the best part about Birthright is that it is going to inform the auction too. So things that you didn't need to know in the right thing to do, but you will need to know for the auction, you'll find that in Birthright. And of course you can understand those plot points when they appear in the auction just fine, but it's like having little Easter eggs to look back to. We love Easter eggs. Yeah. I was talking to one of the girls in the Discord server, Grace. I was like, hey, there's an Easter egg coming up. She was rereading the right thing to do. And she said, an Easter egg in the first fic you wrote? And I said, fine, it's a Christmas egg, you know? (laughs) Oh my God. So Easter eggs and Christmas eggs. All the eggs. All the wrong eggs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the wrong eggs. Oh gosh, that's fun. So you're doing another Drabble? Yeah, the Drabbles for All Right. I had a lot of Tumblr prompts back when I was taking prompts for Drabbles and small little 500 word fix of people like requesting to see like, you know, the, the child that Hermione's pregnant with at the end of the right thing to do. Like, was that a boy or a girl? What was her name? And what does she look like? And so I have all of these Drabbles on Tumblr that I've tried to tag so that you can find them. Oh. 
and I, it was always my intention to put them on AO3 and fanfiction.net, but I wasn't sure of the format I wanted to do because I didn't want to expand upon them and make them chapter length. So I just decided back in March to just start uploading a couple yeah. as drabbles. And there's a couple of fun things in their parenthood stuff, which I'm not a fan of parenthood fix that much. So that's why there's not going to be like a full sequel to the right thing to do with (laughs) the antics of the children. But, you know, little things like seeing Harry babysit and seeing Pansy try to deal with a shy son of Draco Malfoy. She's like, who are you? (laughs) You know, like little cute things like that where it's not a full chapter. It's not a full plot line but it's like little little moments in time. So so I started putting those up. I fell off of it though. I was trying to do like a couple of week and I think I stopped at six of them and, and that was March. So. <laughs> hey, speaking of the Discord, I'm so excited. I just joined it. Yeah. This last year I've learned what things are. <laughs> yeah, right. There's too much social media. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh yeah, Instagram. I had never used Twitter yeah. Knew what Discord was or anything. So I'm finally in the Discord. I joined the game. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah, like you were talking about a lot of the art that's out there. There's yeah. art on there and just going through a lot of that and seeing all the different people talking about different fics. Yeah. And seeing everything that's really fun. Yeah. And getting to interact with people too. It was great. Yeah. It's like the shared excitement. We read these wonderful yeah. things and then can just talk about them. Yeah. Were you in other fandoms prior? Like, had you done fan fiction at all prior to like a year ago? I really didn't know it was a thing. And it's weird because I've been in into Harry Potter for forever. Yeah. But would just reread the books and watch yeah. the movies every other week. So. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know that that was a thing. And then yeah. somehow stumbled upon, it was like a Harry and Ginny strike. And so that's how I ended up even finding out about it. But no, I'm kind of jealous of all these people who have been reading fanfic years and years. Like I'm catching up, like I need to read all of it. Well, like back in Ought 9, there was no place to get together as a community and scream about things with strangers on the internet. You know, the Facebook groups are great for that discord, obviously, but you had to force your real life friends to read Harry Potter fan fiction in order to have people to talk about it with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, kind of what I'm doing with Matt too. (laughs) Yeah, right. I like hearing his commentary. He's like, I mean, I haven't read ahead, but here's what I'm thinking. (laughs) He's such a troll too. I love how much of a troll he is. Like he's (laughs) um i think that like everyone's just gonna die i think that's what's gonna happen here's what i'm feeling yeah (laughs) i have tried to explain the rights and wrongs series to him so many times but i'm really bad at articulating everything but you need to read this so that then i can tell you about the auction (laughs) yeah and then you're gonna read with me every two weeks when new chapters come out exactly hey he has 20 more weeks to catch up because there's 10 more chapters coming out so Oh my gosh, yes. That's so nice, though. I, I love that. Yeah. I'm going to see if he'll come down here and say hi. Yeah. Look who I found. <laughs> he was in the middle of an intense. The famous Matt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good to meet you. You've heard my uh, incredible insight into the fan fiction. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I was just saying I love it because it's like, here's how I think it's going to go down. <laughs> It's pretty good. I'm like, that would be a fic. <laughs> I know. Half the time I'm like, maybe this is how it should go, even if it doesn't. You know, like I, yeah, right. I, something that- I feel like that's how most fic writers operate. They're like, this is such a good fic. I would have done it differently here. 
<laughs> now I'm going to rewrite it. Yeah, exactly. Well, he is fully convinced now that the end of canon Harry Potter should have been that Harry Potter died. Like that he actually died and that Neville <laughs> kills Voldemort. That, that's been our hot debate going for a few weeks. <laughs> I don't read non-Dramione stories, but I know that there's probably some really good, more like general non-romantic fanfics that take that route that the prophecy was about Neville all along. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually, I would have left that theater or that book when I read it just like crying, you know? And I cry <laughs> yeah. Often, so. I've never seen him cry. We've been dating for over a year, so. <laughs> well, I keep trying to convince him to read Manacled, too. Yeah, that'll get you. It's like dark enough. He loves Game of Thrones. It's really dark. Yeah, you'd like it. Well, the auction is an AU also. That's what he's <laughs> working on. Alternate universe version of Rights and Wrongs series. Oh, okay. And it's like when Voldemort won, basically. I hope all of this stays on the podcast. Oh, it's, all, it's all going on the podcast. <laughs> I love it. It's maybe my like sadistic or something, but it's just like, why do the, the, the good guys always win, you know? Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. I know. <laughs> I like dark stories too. I like stories that take a turn. Well, there's more of a story, you know, with happy stories. Of course, you want to feel good. Yeah. But there's drama and crazy things happening if it's more of like a dark story, I think. Yeah. Like more compelling sometimes. Maybe that'll happen in isolation. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Maybe everyone dies. I'm not saying I want it to happen, but it would be shocking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, cool. thank you. I'm sorry I ruined your game of StarCraft. So good to meet you. Yeah, it was a good man. All right. Yes. I got Matt. <laughs> he made a cameo. That's all I needed. I walked in there. I was like, hey, come say hi. And he's like, right now? I'm in the middle of this game. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, but come on. <laughs> well, I think we talked about everything. Um, I feel like there was so much that I made like 10 pages of right. everything. But just know that. We're all thinking that love fix are amazing. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, I just want to on the podcast say that you have your own podcast. That's called Austin Bronte and Hugo Walk into a Bar. Yeah. Can you tell us just a little thing about that? Yeah. So chapter 29 of the auction was the big one that was, uh, I guess I won't spoil anything in case people haven't fully caught up, but it was the big one. And I said publicly it was my favorite chapter months before it posted. And it was just such a big deal, this chapter, for reasons. (laughs) And so me and the betas, the alphabet, as we call ourselves, we decided to record ourselves talking about the process. Mm -hmm. But Kat is already so well versed in podcasts and hosting that she was like, let's just keep this going. (laughs) And so we kind of, I think we came up with the name during the first episode, (laughs) but just the idea that I'm the Jane Austen, Mar is the Bronte, and Kat is the Victor Hugo. And those are the perspectives we look at this fic with. And it shifts, obviously. I'm not against the rebellion and the war. You know, it's not like Kat's forcing me to put the Victor Hugo qualities into it. You know, it's kind of the intersection of all three of those perspectives. Perspective. So we just jokingly said Austin Bronte and Hugo walk into a bar and that was our podcast. If we feel like continuing it 
after the auction wraps and talking about other things. We can pretend to be coming from three different perspectives, but we're kind of trying to do chapter recaps from chapter 29 forward. So there's going to be 40 chapters of the auction. So after each new chapter within the next week, there'll be a podcast episode to kind of discuss our process of writing that. And then also on the off weeks, doing like a recap of the beginning chapters, five chapters at a time, something like that. It's kind of like getting a behind the scenes look on some stuff and like getting to say like, hey, this didn't make it in the chapter, but it's something that I thought was pretty cool. Maybe you'll think is pretty cool too. Yeah. So yeah, so that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I think every platform we got it on. Yeah, I've listened to them. And I just have to say for anyone listening to this, that they should go listen to that. Yeah. You guys are so funny, like your whole dynamic. <laughs> and Kat is hilarious. She's the worst. <laughs> I guess also, I know you weren't working with betas during the right thing to do. Yeah. But how is that process different now that you're working with betas during this story compared to then? So much different. Kat kind of attacked me and forced me to be her friend (laughs) as the right thing to do was rapping. And so we've kept in touch and met in person several times and really respect each other. And obviously we're working on TV pilots now together. So we have more partnerships outside of fan fiction. Mm -hmm. So I always knew I wanted her, just her eye on the auction, but I didn't know two years ago that I needed (laughs) such effort from (laughs) both Kat and Mar. Mar really forced me to sit down and get the outline out. It's not that I don't outline, it's more that I don't like to stick to an outline. I like to have it as a suggestion. And with a fic like this, you just don't want any loose ends at the end. You don't want any like missteps. Well, especially like the tinfoil hat theories, you know, of like, they said Switzerland in chapter two. It must be the same thing as in chapter 30, you know? And so it's like, ah, crap. We Let's choose a different country, you know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, how much does the comments and all the theories, how much does that actually influence anything? It doesn't influence anything. The only thing it would influence would be to add something to clarify something. Oh. If there's a bunch of people who really read something the wrong way or have a wild theory about something sometimes we'll just kind of sneak in one sentence in the next chapter to just guide the readers back you know I think a lot of authors do that even if they say I never read the comments you know but like just the idea of hey think of this as an original piece of fiction and you have 5,000 beta readers to kind of re-guide the ship in a way okay Well, that's everything that I wanted to get through on the podcast. Yay! Oh, so, so much for doing this. I know it's probably super weird to have a stranger like slide in your DMs. No, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) This has been so amazing. I'm speechless. I have no words. Just chatting with you and just talking about your work and everything. It's been so fabulous. So thank you so much, really. Thank you, (laughs) Kaylee. I'm sorry, this went so long. No, this is great. I don't, I can't talk about myself for any less than an hour. So that's Perfect. Great. Well, I'm here. For it, so. 